Well, good morning, sisters. How are you? Amen. Amen. It's, um, I don't know how to use this thing. They are different than to figure out how to clip it on your belt. Can you, can you help me? Um, oh, this way. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'll do it the other way. Thank you. Amen. Well, um, <clears throat> uh, this is a rare occasion, uh, I think, for you and also for me um, to have a, the brothers told me, a sister's training. I gasped when I heard that uh, because I said, why do you call this a training? Sisters don't like to have trainings. Um, they just want to have a good, sweet time together. Um, so I hope that has not uh, caused some not to come. You know, we still have some chairs in the back. Uh, but I wouldn't call this a training today. I would just call it just a conference or just a gathering here. And so you can relax. There's no tax. There's no uh, rules. There's no, uh, except for the Lord being the ruler within us. Uh, there's no um, any kind of regulations. This is really just a conference uh, with the sisters in this area. Uh, now, still, uh, it is a very rare occasion uh, to gather so many sisters in one place. Uh, not that we have never done this, but we did this uh, rarely. Uh, the last one like this, actually, it's in Houston. Um, I don't even remember when. Last year or this year, we have a similar gathering in Houston, um, and uh, we had a very good time like this with a couple of meetings uh, and some food together. Now, um, um, because it is not a training, I will also relax, meaning that let's say we're just around the fireplace, okay? Where 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 the the fire is burning and the wood is crackling and uh, we all have some cider in our hands, so let's just have a good time of uh, fellowship around the Lord's feet. Uh, you know, you remember uh, Mary. You remember one of the many Marys in the New Testament, um, uh, actually Mary of Bethany, who chose the better part according to the Lord's appraisal of her, because, unlike her sister Martha, who was, I would say, too overly blamed in the centuries as working too hard. You know, if Martha didn't work hard and cook, no one would be even sitting up, right, uh, to talk. So, so let's not blame Martha. However, the Lord uh, did make a contrast and said his sister Mary chose the better part, which is to sit close to the Lord at his feet. Now, if you, if I, you sit at my feet, you, I'm, I'm here, you don't go sit there at my feet. That's not at my feet. You come here, am I right? So this sister was very likely very, very close to the Lord's feet in one of the Marys. I don't know whether it's this one or some other Marys. Actually, in one of the, uh, I think Simon the leper's, Simon's house, 
actually kiss the Lord's feet with his tears and using his glo- her glory her hair. I mean, that's talk, talk about intimate. That's how intimate it was. So I believe this Mary was that close to the Lord to do what? To just uh, looking to the Lord, I believe, gazing on the Lord, to hear every word that came out of the Lord's mouth. That's the better part that we all have to choose. So dear sisters, I hope that you would uh, imitate this Mary in your lives uh, to always be one that is intimate with the Lord at the Lord's feet in the spirit, actually before the throne, really, the throne of grace, to be so close. You know, when you're that close to a person, you're not only audibly hearing what this person is saying, for sure you are, very clearly. But when you're so close to a person, actually you are hearing this person's heartbeat. You're not just listening to words. You're hearing this person's heart. You, you are able to discern this person's mind, thinking, thoughts, feeling. You know, Paul said he forgave people according to the index of the Lord's eyes. So Paul was a person like this. He was constantly so close to the Lord in the spirit that he would do everything, even forgiving someone according to what he see in the index of the Lord's eyes, which is right here, which is what betrays your inner feeling, right? They say the eyes are the window to one's soul, don't they? So when I look at your eyes, I detect your inner being, what you're thinking. So Paul was like that. He was so close to the Lord that every action he took, he did it looking at the Lord's eyes. He was not doing it by himself, by his logic, by his kind of wisdom. He was looking on at the Lord every single moment. Sisters, I hope that you would all develop such a life, such a uh, um, living with the Lord all the time. All the time. There is a special portion, a special blessing when you live this way. And it's good that it, it's, it's, it's a female in this case. It's a female. So um, I hope even this morning we would all be around the Lord's feet to really gaze into his eyes, to hear his heartbeat and touch his purpose, his, his intention. Then, then this meeting is good. It's not just me covering some outline, talking about some points, and you get the truth. No, no, that's not good enough. I want you to hear the Lord. I want the Lord to speak directly to you. I want you to touch his pulse, his heartbeat, in the two matters of utmost importance that we're going to cover this morning at 35,000 feet, because these are huge, humongous projects or rather humongous burdens, uh, subjects that we simply cannot do it justice, even a little bit of it, by just one meeting or two. So this is really an opening. Uh, and the first matter concerns marriage. And we have this message one, a holy marriage for God's purpose. The second uh, message 
message two, will be a godly family for the church life. So we're on marriage and family today. Two things that I hope when you leave this morning will be so, so, your estimation of it, your appreciation of it, and in fact your love and treasure and honor of these two things, marriage and family, would be much, much higher, much, much greater than when you came this morning. Now, I have limited time, and I have a bad habit of just going off and not finishing my outlines, Uh, but uh, I'm ready to sacrifice the outlines just to get the burden across. But very, very quickly, as a little testimony first, uh, this song that you sang, I I told them, don't sing it, but you sang it. It's okay. It's all right. (laughs) That's how things go. And... and, uh, Oh, Perfect Love. I wrote it. I wrote this little hymn uh, last year. And uh, I don't know where I first sang it uh, in, a, in a congregational situation like this. Uh, but uh, this morning, I, I remember I wrote it. I, I wrote many hymns I forgot. I remember this. Now this, of course, you know, First Corinthians 13 is the famous chapter on love. However, it is not talking about just our human love per se. It is talking about the agape love, the divine love, the love of God. However, that divine love of God is expressed or finds its expression in the human love. In the human love. And so the description of that chapter is not just God loving us. The description of that chapter talks about how we love one another. One another. And I think that this can absolutely apply, absolutely, totally apply to a marriage situation. You know, uh, love is real, but love is also very elusive. Elusive. It comes, it goes. And those of us who are married and those of us who have been married for some time can all honestly testify to this. The love that you felt for your spouse when you first got married or before you got married is one thing. Five years in, it's a different story. Ten years in, much different story. By that time, that love that used to be and burn down a barn has reduced to a flicker of its former self. In fact, non-existent. In fact, turning into hatred. I don't think I'm exaggerating. That's how undependable the human love is without the source of the true love. And that is God himself. God said, he is love. And so this chapter is about that love, that permanent, everlasting love. I've loved you with an everlasting love being channeled through the human love. Only that love will survive. Only that love will last. Only that love is genuine. Only that love is real. 
all the other loves, just like Hollywood movies, these romantic movies. Before you leave the theater, it's over. I was very, very afraid of this chapter. This chapter is sacred to me, and I dare not touch it because it's so, so insurmountable, so inaccessible, so great. Who can do these things? There are like 15 descriptors of love in that chapter. Who can do it? Love doesn't brag. Love believes all. Love hopes all. Love rejoices in the truth. Etc., etc. Who can do it? I cannot do it. I confess, I cannot do it. And then you apply to my marriage with my wife. I failed. Again and again. I know that. And I confess that. I could never live up to this chapter. But nevertheless, the word is there. The word is there. So I would like to suggest, dear sisters, maybe I can give you an assignment, all right? After this conference. How about you take the next month, not the next day, the next month. Take your time to pray read that chapter. Don't make up your mind to do anything that the chapter says. Because you cannot do it. Just like I cannot do it. But pray read it. Pray this God-breathed word of 1 Corinthians 13. Don't jump over. Don't walk around this chapter. Go to it and just pray it. And pray it. All right? So I wrote this hymn. Uh, with a lot of difficulty. It took me weeks to just to write this little hymn uh, about this perfect love. Let me just read it to you again. O perfect love, it suffers long for bearing. Tender and kind, it leads the soul to sing. Free from all jealous thought and boastful feeling, may I this love divine to others bring. O selfless love, tis never unbecoming. Purest affections seek not its own things. That's a direct quote. Never provoked, nor counting evil doing, let this love echo forth from my heart springs. When you read this, think about your husband. Don't just sing this about somebody. This is about you. Okay? O noble love, in righteousness rejoicing, a love that cheers wherever truth is king. It covers all thing and be- things, believes it all things, it hopes all things and will endure all things. No, I did not make a grammatical mistake in the third line, and believes it all things, not believe in. Believes it all things, it referring to love. Love believes all things. O lasting love, it fades not, never abating. Timeless and strong prevails o'er everything. When knowledge fails and gifts are unavailing, may I be found in its eternal spring. Dear sisters, there's only one place, one person that you can find. The love that will sustain your marriage and your family. And that love is God. And so uh, take the time. How about 
take my little song as well and sing this song over and over again. Take the next month. Just take the next month. Among the other things you're covering, you know, the Holy Word and all many things. How about between now and the end of the year, 2019, end the year with 1 Corinthians 13. How about that? I, I really mean that. All right? And let this word fill you. Let this word inhabit you. Let this word saturate you. Okay? All right. Now, we must come to the burden this morning on a holy marriage for God's purpose. Let me just say this first. When we talk about marriage, uh, we usually, as, as I've been doing a little bit here, we usually think of love, right? No love, no marriage. That's absolutely should be the case. I mean, I know there are countries, cultures that arrange loveless marriages. That's not so good, right? That's, that's not really so right. Normally, naturally, uh, it is based on the love of two persons um, who become romantically involved that they come to the point that they're ready to make a commitment to one another to be with one another uh, for the rest of their lives. Um, and so love is uh, absolutely foundational and, and uh, um, indispensable in a proper marriage, in, in, in a marriage. But this morning... I'm not going to emphasize love concerning marriage. This morning, I want to emphasize as this subject, outline subjects, says, I want to emphasize purpose. So this morning, I'm going to talk to you about the purpose of marriage. Why do we get married? Yeah, we have a need and God made every human being normally with an innate need to be married. That, that is absolutely something in creation of God. But this morning, I want to bring us all that even there's a reason why God built this need within man so that man would seek to be married. And behind all of this is purpose. And so when I talk about the purpose of marriage, I'm going to bring you all the way back to Genesis 1 with the first marriage in mankind to show you that this purpose is not even man's purpose, but God's. We have to trace this matter all the way to God's eternal purpose. Your marriage and mine is directly related to God's eternal intention, God's eternal purpose. If you can make that connection, brothers, sisters, if you really can make that connection on a daily basis, you will view your marriage differently. You will treat your marriage differently. You will handle 
even your marital problems, challenges differently. May I say this? You will even treat and handle your partner, your, your spouse differently if you see this purpose. And I really mean that. I really mean that. So I don't have the time to have all these verses. I actually have an outline here, separate outline. If you like it, I can see if the brothers are open to do this after this conference. I have all the verses printed in the outline. So you not only have outline, you have all the verses there. Would you like to have one to help you digest and get into things? Which is the other assignment? Okay, I'm going to give you assignment number two. It's no good that there's no follow-up after a conference, okay? So the second assignment, besides prayer reading 1 Corinthians 13, is I want to charge you all in the different churches for sisters to come together in small number, two or three, on the phone. It's okay. Um, And FaceTime, whatever you do, or in person, or four or five, depending, come together to digest these two messages. All right? Talk about it. Fellowship about it. Get into these things together. Let this word impress you again and again and again. I hope this will even change your marriage life. All right. One, marriage life is the foundation of the family life. That's clear. No marriage, no, no family. And the family life is the basis of our daily life. For most all of us, we have a family of some kind. Even you're unmarried, your sister unmarried. You belong to some family where there's a marriage, i.e. your parents. Am I right? So we couldn't get away from this. Our whole daily life, you know, um, is based on our family life, humanly speaking. I would even say, well, let me finish. And our daily life is the basis of the church life. The church life has a basis. You know, we're all practicing the church life. But the church life has a base. Like a building. You know this building? It has a foundation. Without this foundation, you couldn't build this thing in thin air. This basis is very important. The, 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 the superstructure is as strong as the foundation is, as solid as the foundation is. And the basis of the church life is our daily life. So you see this? Church life here. And underneath the church life, you have our daily life. Follow me? And under daily, our daily life, another layer, that's called our family life. And underneath our family life, the final base, if you will, is the marriage life. Then you say, well, what about my personal life? My Christian life? Well, I'll give that to you. I probably will put it underneath the marriage life. Our life with the Lord. Right? We all need a personal, intimate life with the Lord. But that personal life by itself can hardly bear the building. It hardly can bear up our church life. In other words, we can all may be strong as individual Christians. That will not translate 
necessarily into a strong and prevailing church life. The individuals here, then we must listen, have strong marriages. I didn't say perfect. I didn't say flawless, but I did say strong and proper marriages. And then based on that, we, we need strong and proper families in the church life. Of course, even as a nation, we need strong families. It is the, the nuclear, fla- nuclear flam- family, as they call it, is the basic building block even of a nation. But the same thing in the kingdom of God, in the church life today, of the family is what? Is the building block. No wonder, no wonder the devil, Satan, work in his strategy, both in Old Testament and New, is to destroy not just individuals, but to destroy marriages and damage families, break up the families. And by the way, I'd like to tell you today, the USA societal condition probably has never been so messy. The mental health crisis, the drug, opiate crisis, the suicides that is just like becoming like daily affair. Look at all the shootings in your great state of Texas. A lot of this eventually are tied back to mental health. And that mental health eventually, a lot of them comes from or stems from dysfunctional families. Broken families that starts with broken marriages. And that became a, what, a perfect environment for multiple kind of psychological disorders to happen and take place. Abuses in families. No love, just, just loveless marriages and families. So this country is under assault from within, you know, not by some country out there, but from within, by the destruction and the erosion of normal and proper families. And don't think that we in the Lord's recovery are immune to that. Our, I'm, you all are, I am too, so burdened for the Lord's recovery. Am I right? Amen. For the Lord's testimony on the earth. But in a practical, as a practical matter, this Lord's testimony would not be solid and strong and even growing and spreading without, without these strong, solid bases that I just mentioned. While we do emphasize our personal life with the Lord, you know, even this uh, uh, last week in uh, Houston, right? Some of you are in Houston on the all-inclusive, extensive Christ, on all the ways we experience him based on the book of Colossians. Uh, There's not as much emphasis on marriage and family. When actually, actually, 
a solid personal experience of Christ must contribute to a solid marriage. To experience Christ in our marriage and then in our family. There's a disconnect between what we know doctrinally, all this wonderful truth, all these riches, and our practical daily affairs and experiences. And so because of that disconnect or lack of application of these great and wonderful things, our church life can actually be quite weak. Quite weak. Because these building blocks are wobbly, are not so solid. Okay, let's, let's, let's go on. I have to move on. A marriage is a very important factor in the church life. Whether a church is sound and healthy or loses its element and essence. You know, these are heavy words. Sound and healthy. Don't we want our church life all to be sound and healthy? Amen. We should be burdened this way. Or wouldn't you hate to see that our church life would lose its element and essence? But all this, listen, is very dependent upon the marriage life. I wouldn't say that. I would say dependent on our spirituality, dependent on this or that. No, it's a dependent upon the marriages in the churches of us. We should not consider the matter of marriage to be a light thing. We must hold it in honor. You know, the word is in Hebrews. Hebrews says what? That we would what? Let marriage be held in honor among all and be the bed undefiled, etc., Now forget about this matter of fornication for a while, which is a serious matter. But I want you to pay attention to this word, honor. Honor. Let marriage be held in honor. That means you respect it. That means you treasure it. That means you have the highest esteem for this. It's more than just a social institution, marriage. Okay, we get married and we, we should stay together and so on and so forth. No, I hope according to the Lord's word and, and with the help of the ministry, we would even go beyond just those kind of minimal understanding of the sacredness of marriage or the sanctity of marriage, so-called. I hope we could see even beyond into the heart of God, the mind of God, when he first ordained marriage soon after he created man. I believe God, when he created Adam, his thought was on marriage already. Marriage is not an afterthought of God. So he, it seemed like that way. He looked at Adam. Oh, it's not good for him to be alone. Let me get a counterpart for him. Oh, accidentally. Uh, by the way, I forgot about that. God said, oh, let's, let's just make a counterpart. And so he did something quite 
interesting, you know, you know, put him to sleep and open the side, take out the rib, build a woman. It's all kind of funny, you know, very interesting. Like, like, like that's an afterthought. No. God, when he made the one man Adam, has already the thought that this man needs a help me. That this man is to be married. That this man should be a couple. Not only to mirror himself, God himself with man. And it runs through the whole Old Testament. The creator is your maker. Now, excuse me. The, your maker is your husband. All right? Yeah. Isaiah 54. And multiple other verses in Isaiah and Jeremiah that gives us a very clear, not only thought, but speaking from God himself. Amen. That God sees him, and indeed in reality he is, the sole male and husband in this universe, and the man, the corporate man that he made, is the female, the unique female that he wants to marry. You know, we have this word called the divine romance. I would like to go take it a little bit further this morning, just to make the point. God's heart is not even just to have a romance. God's heart is to get married. A romance may be full of love, but it may have no purpose. It's just enjoyable, blissful, happy. Romance, right? The butterflies, right? But it may be purposeless. Marriage, in contrast, is purposeful. When I get romantically involved with you, I may not yet have a kind of purpose. But the moment I decided to propose and get married with you, purpose comes in. There's a purpose now. This is not playing a game now. This is not having some romantic stuff now. This is a purpose. I'm making a commitment to a purpose. God, as the unique male, did not just want to fall in love. He wants to get married. He wants to be joined. He wants to be in union with man like a couple. And we see this at the end of the Bible in Revelation. Am I right? The spirit and the bride. That means the process triune God and the uh, glorified tripartite man being married for eternity. So this is what marriage is. So... We should not consider the matter of marriage to be a light thing. You know, one problem today is people get married in a light way. And they stay married, or at least they try, in a light way. And they get unmarried also in a light way. And they get remarried in a light way again. I told the brothers before we came up here, 
by the way, uh, brothers, some of them are getting worried now, I know. Minoru, when are you going to end? This meeting should be, first session should be over by 11.15, and you're not on your subject yet. Uh, you, you're still uh, wandering in Roman numeral one. Uh, okay, I don't care. I don't care about these outlines. I may spend both of these sessions on message one. I just care for the burden. We have time for the other one. Maybe I can come back and cover the other one. No, let me, let me we'll see how the Lord leads. Now, let me, let me go on. I told the brothers, go to Matthew 24. Matthew 24 is sort of a chapter on prophecy of the Lord, okay, on the mount. And he described the end of this age, somewhat the age we're in. If we're not there, we're very close. As the days of Noah, as the days of Noah, so shall the days of the Son of Man be. So we're in the the last days, lawless days. You know, Noah's days is characterized by lawlessness and violence and great, great immorality which is part of lawlessness, by the way, breaking the law left and right. And then he described what it's like in the days of Noah. It says people are just eating and drinking, okay? And then it says, interestingly, marrying and given to marriage. You know, I scratched my head when I read it before. I said, what's wrong? It's a good thing to eat and drink a little, right? Getting married and being married. What's wrong with that? Well, the point is this. Listen to me. The point is these God-ordained necessities of the human life, you know, eating, drinking, marrying, being married, are necessities, right? Human life. But by then... Because of the enemy's work, they have all been turned into something else that corrupts, that usher in lawlessness. So, in the, this matter of marriage, marrying and given to marriage, you could say it this way. In the last days, this whole matter of marriage will have become something so loose. So loose. So defiled. So degraded. Look, today, same-sex marriage. Marriage. What kind of marriage is that? Look at the amount of divorces we have. Today we're over 50% in this country and creeping up. Hey, it didn't work out. Why, 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 why be chained to a death dance, you know, a death dance where we'll each consume and devour each other? Let's part ways. Hey, I think we made a mistake, you know. 
It's a bad mistake, but why stay in the mistake? Or really, really, you and I are not compatible. So let's go to the courthouse. Marrying and given to marriage. Marriage is treated as a light, loose matter. My burden, dear sisters, is to reverse that, at least among us. Marriage, according to God, is the highest, most honorable, most important matter in his economy, even our human marriage. Not just in the divine marriage. Dear sisters and brothers, they're not here, but I'm speaking to the brothers. We should not treat marriage as anything easygoing and light. I know you see every day in Hollywood, movies, Netflix, whatever. Just just fall in love, fall out of love, what, what, what. And I fear, especially with the younger generation, who are not as constrained by, you know, tradition, are even freer. You know, today people don't even get married. They cohabitate. You go to Europe in certain countries... More people cohabitate than marry. Marry is an antique tradition. Modern men don't get married. They just live together. It's convenient. It doesn't work out. You don't have to do a thing. Just move your furniture out. This, this is the prevailing. Marriage over. Marriage, we're in a post-marriage world. Marriage has ceased to be something sacred or important. And I'm so afraid, especially the young generation, your concept is very colored by the thought of this age. This is the current philosophy. We need a kind of brainwash. You know what I mean? Understand properly? To be washed by the Holy Word. By God's word. Let's come back to the word of God if we believe it. So I'm not here to throw something at you to kind of pass some judgment and condemn people. No, the Lord knows that's not in my heart. I just have a burden for our own saints, brothers included, not just sisters. To relook at this, I don't want to use the word institution because even that lessens it. It's not just some human traditional institution that people are rejecting. No, they're under Satan's influence. They're rejecting something a lot more. They are rejecting God. They're rejecting God's purpose. They're rejecting God's ordination. That's serious. And when that happens, the human society falls apart. Predictably. 
I'm not even here with a burden. Oh, if in the Lord's recovery we fill with beautiful marriages, wonderful families, praise the Lord. I'm not even there. Let that be by God's mercy and outcome. My burden is to help all of us to relook at this matter from the lens of God's eternal purpose. Our marriage has to do with God's purpose. Okay, let's go on. And so, of course, Hebrews says, you have to hold it in honor. Why hold it in honor? Did you ever ask? Just because it's nice? Why do we hold this thing called marriage in honor? Why? Why we have to be careful not to defile it? Why? Have you ever asked why? Just so that you can be a good person? No, because it has too much to do with God's fulfilling his purpose in the church today. Make no mistake, the enemy is doing everything night and day to destroy marriages. Even if there's no divorce, basically that marriage is destroyed from within. Many cases, it's just a show, a sham. For many reasons, but I, this morning, my burden is a loss of purpose. Oh, how I wish this is not a sister's meeting, but all the brothers are here. They need this word just as much. Why do, you know, why there would be abuses in family? Verbal abuse. Emotional abuse, sorry, in some cases, physical abuse. How can that happen? When you honor, when you honor marriage, and when you honor the marriage, you certainly, you honor that relationship. Am I right? Between the husband and the wife. You honor one another. You respect You know, the other leg, most people say marriage is based on love. They forgot the other leg. That's why they don't stand for long. It's called respect. But biblical word is honor. The husband should honor the wife. And the wife, the husband. I really mean that. I'm not here to uh, uh, drag up some old cultural things, you know, you know. No, no. If we see what marriage is, even my marriage, your marriage is, in God's purpose, my, your whole attitude, your whole feeling, your whole outlook would just be changed. This is not about me having a good marriage, having a good time. That's wonderful. But it's not even there. There is the purpose. Now, now, okay, don't take me wrong, sisters. I'm wishing for an unhappy but purposeful marriage. <laughs> Did you hear what I said? No, no, please. You, you totally misunderstood me. I wish everyone would have 
a blissful marriage. All right? I'm not, I'm not saying that. But just to be happy is not still on the top. The purpose. Now let's come to the C. B, Paul's burden in Ephesians 5 was to cover both married life and the church life at the same time. You all know Ephesians 5, quoted a lot in weddings, what not, where interchangeably from verse to verse, you don't even know where Paul was going. You think he's talking about Christ and the church, then he talks about husband and wife, then he goes back to Christ and the church, and then he goes back to husband and wife. It's almost like you know, the divine marriage and the human marriage are one and the same. Paul did not separate married life from the church life. Rather, he blended the two together. For he knew that marriage life is actually part of the church life. My dear sisters, your marriage is an essential part of the church life. Some just say, oh, my marriage is just kaput. It doesn't matter as long as I'm given to the church, I'm faithful in the church, I'm coming to the meetings. Who cares about my marriage? Wrong. Wrong. Our marriage is, life is part, an intrinsic part of the church life. Now, sitting there, don't say, oh my goodness, how do you do that? Forget about doing that for now. For now. Let's just continue and be impressed by God's word. Okay? Set number two. Marriage is ordained by God and is important to God. The, the whole Bible talks about marriage and cases of marriage, good and bad, far too much. The whole human society, the whole, whole human experience... Uh, with Israel, with, with us, the New Testament Israel, household of faith, it is the same thing. We have not addressed this matter. We have not given this matter its place enough in the, in the church life. And so even among us, we have poor experiences and we have church life that is very, very much impeded, discounted by marriages that are not solid. A, when God created man, he saw that it was not good for man to be alone, so he determined to make a helper for man at his counterpart. This shows that marriage is according to God's divine and holy ordination. I hope you would remember these two adjectives, divine and holy. Divine means it's God is the source of marriage. No one thought up this thing. Even Adam had a need, but even Adam didn't think up these things. It was God who put within Adam, built into the Adam in creation, with a need to be married. And it's holy. Holy means what? Holy, dear sisters, means something uncommon. Don't let marriage become common. It is a common practice in human race. But never let your marriage become a common thing. 
treated and handled by common, in common ways. If I just bought this beautiful glass vase, beautiful glass vase, thin glass vase, $10,000 or more, you better believe me, I, I'll be holding this and walking like this. You understand? Because this thing is super expensive. It's a treasure. So I suddenly become so careful with it. How about our marriage? I'm afraid the moment we get home, it's this glass vase. You just throw it all over the place. Let it break in our words, in our speech, in our attitude, in the way we're with our spouses. Just careless. It's, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We just, I tell you, no wonder. It just doesn't take long for these things to fall and crack into a million pieces because no care, common, unholy, not sanctified. Immediately after God created man, he charged man to be, quote, fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. That is to fill the earth with human beings. Now we come to God's purpose. God's purpose, according to Genesis 1, is not just he would create man and that's it. But he created man to express him, God, and to represent him. One positive, one negative. To do that, he has to replenish the earth and fill the earth with his image. And that means the men that he created. Now, how on earth would man replenish himself? There was only one Adam. And God is not going to make, remake Adam with more mud and more mud and make a billion of them. Even God would get tired, I think. But he made Adam and he said, very good. This is the sixth day. Very good. Because he made a standard model. He made a mode. That's it. But now the work is to reproduce this image into billions and fill the earth. This is before the fall. How? Not by God creating one man at a time, but by Adam being the what? Progeny. Is that the right? The source of manhood, of mankind. But not by Adam himself, but by a helpmate, but by another half so you all know Brother Lee's wonderful illustration of marriages, husband and wife being a watermelon or some kind of melon, it doesn't matter. Splice it in half. Okay, man at the most, Adam, wonderful as he was, is just half. And Eve, that came out of Adam and went back to Adam, is the other half. These are two halves can join you make one melon. God doesn't want half of a melon. God wants, God wants to eat the whole thing. Amen. Even today we say the better half. Hey, the other half didn't come today, right? Even we know to say there's another half. Every single human being is a half. 
There's no full, complete human being. You are at the most 50%. And if you don't get married, you'll stay 50%. Marriage is God-purposed. For the two halves to come together, to procreate for the continuation and maintain maintenance, and even for the propagation and spread of the human kind that is actually God's kind made in his image. This indicates that we need to be married properly according to God's purpose and for God's purpose. God's purpose in marriage is to use us to maintain the existence of mankind on earth. You say, well, where is love in all of this? This all looks so dry and so get married to have babies, you know. Is that all you're talking about? Where's love? Well, I'd like to tell you, love is the means. Love is the draw. Love is the environment. Love is the condition. But love is not the purpose. God so loved the world. That does not speak of purpose. That speaks of his feeling, his compassion, his kindness. Where is purpose? That those who would believe in him would have eternal life. That's the purpose of love. So here we see that not much is spoken about love here. Doesn't mean there's no love, but not much is spoken about here. It's talking about God's purpose for the existence and multiplication of man. Man should enjoy God's provision for his living and the marriage life for man's existence and multiplication to replenish replenish the earth that it may be possible for God to save some men in order to produce the church, the body of Christ, which will issue in the new Jerusalem as God's eternal enlargement and expression according to God's eternal economy. Now that's a mouthful, and we all know these words, but I'd like to this morning make this other connection. Number one, to connect your marriage to Genesis 1. Purpose. Now I want to make another connection to Revelation 22. The fulfillment. Sisters, this is not to exaggerate and not to spiritualize. Okay, This is real. Properly speaking. According to God's intention. Our marriage has to do with the coming new Jerusalem. The building up of that holy city. You may say, really? I'll say, really. That's why you need to take, we need to take care of our marriages. Not just for our happiness and satisfaction, which is important. I'm never discounting that. But there's something in view. 
How would there be new Jerusalem if there's no transform, redeemed, transformed, and glorified men? And how would those men exist if they're never born? And how would they be born if there's no marriages coming together to conceive and give them birth? Do you see this? So I'm not this morning, maybe I don't have time now to even talk about family. That's why the next burden is on family. Our children, our descendants, dear sisters, they are for the new Jerusalem. Therefore, God's purpose. We have to, you know, if you subscribe to this, what I'm saying, if you really believe in this, sisters, you will even pray differently. You won't just pray, Lord, save my kid, you know. He needs help. We need to pray. But can you claim from God, Lord, my child that you have given to me. You know, all children are gift from God. Inheritance of Jehovah is not mine or just for me, for my enjoyment. This child is for your purpose. He must be because he's born in this family. He or she is therefore sanctified, at least positionally to start. You will pray in a claiming way. You will pray in a bold way. You won't just be praying for some help. You are touching God's intention and purpose and heart. Have we done that? It depends what you see. All right. B, God's enemy has a desire to destroy the accomplishment of God's goal, which depends upon human marriage. Why today we have so many broken marriages and failed marriages and broken families? Yes, the men today, people today are um, fallen uh, with the flesh, with themselves, sin, so many things, the world, all these things. Um, would come in. But please remember, God has an enemy. And the enemy, like a lion that is prowling, seeking to devour. Listen to me, remember this. Not just to consume and devour the individual believer, but to damage and destroy marriages and families, Christian marriages and families in particular, because we're talking in the Christian realm here. My marriage, like yours, is under assault. I mean, from the enemy. And the enemy will use all kinds of things, including us. Our temper, our reaction, our jealousy, our flesh, all manners of things to speed up the breakup. The enemy. I feel these days, brothers, I speak to the brothers in the front, 
it's not too much if the Spirit leads. The churches have to rise up to pray for the marriages in the Lord's recovery. Not just pray for souls to be saved. Not just pray for students to be gained from campuses. Of course, we need to pray for that. Not even just to pray for brothers and sisters to be strong in the Lord. But specifically to pray for marriages. And not only because certain marriages need prayer, you know, that is problematic. Not only that, but even all marriages, even the normal good ones, that the Lord would do something to strengthen it, to imbue it even more with his purpose, to bless all the marriages in the Lord's recovery for his namesake and for his purpose sake as the Lord leads I think this requires prayer because spiritual warfare this morning when I got up I, I asked the Lord what should I talk about share about you know so on the word came to me warfare within me I would never think marriage is warfare what, what are you talking about I tell you marriage today is at the front of the war of the battle the enemy's cannons and bullets are directed to destroy marriages. If it's not to destroy, it is to reduce it to an ineffective state. So it's good, not good for the church life. You know, today we say the God-ordained way, we open homes, we open refrigerators, we open, you know what I mean, house to house, uh, you know, in the Bible... Not in this message, the next message about all the glorious households in the New Testament used by the church life to what? Further the Lord's economy. All this will not be there if there's no proper marriages, sisters. Look at Aquila and Prisca. If there's no Aquila and Prisca, I think Paul would have a hard time even carrying out his ministry. Everywhere this couple went, this marriage, they opened their house. In Rome, wherever else. It's just one, 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 one example. Oh, I, I don't think it is too dreamy or crazy to, to petition the Lord on behalf of every marriage in the Lord's recovery. Amen. I don't think so. You know, now we're set to take America, right? We have this thing called GTCA. We're, going to, we're burdened for the Bible Belt, the heartland of America, to gain the local people. Sisters, if our marriages are not so strong, solid for the church life, we, we can spread all we want. The testimony would not be maintained. We cannot practice the church life in a strong way. Do you see this? Look, it's not about, I'm jumping the gun here. It's not just about your marriage. It's about your children. 
is about our children, my children. So in a marriage, it's bad and so on. It's one thing. But the kids are the victims. The first victims for the rest of their lives. Dear sisters and brothers, I talk in a very honest manner, not so pleasant, maybe even somewhat offensive. I apologize. I apologize. But the burden within me, based on my observation, is so heavy. I need to share this. And this time the brothers invite me here. They said, share whatever you feel. So I'm taking them at their word and just share with you my burden. But it's not just you. This is needed for all the churches. Everywhere. Today, it's not even just Americans. China, Taiwan, same thing. They're catching up with the Western philosophy real quick. The Chinese divorce rate is like, whoa. Don't think they're conservative, they're confusion. No, they are adopting the same modern philosophy. I'm very clear that I cannot go to the second message <laughs> unless you want me to go to the second marriage, uh, second message. It's okay. Um, because it's 11.15. And supposedly we have to give you 30 minutes of snack and coffee time. So I, I need to take care of the sisters. Let me ask you now, do you want me to go to message two, which I can? Or you want me to finish message one in the next? Huh? All right. I somewhat feel that way. I think there's an echo within you. These things are so, so critical. I'd rather take it, be a little bit more thorough than just to kind of skim through the top. Right? Um, so I hope you touch something of God's heartbeat. Now, don't think about, oh, my marriage, my marriage. Just for the moment, for the moment, don't worry about that. All right? Just take care of God's speaking. Just be open to the Lord's uh, burden. And take it from there. But do do my two assignments. My two assignments. Number one, that is to what? Pray read. Until the end of this year. Start the new year, okay? 2020. By having pray read 1 Corinthians 13. And I humbly offer my little hymn for you to enjoy. Then, secondly, to be with some sisters some sisters, and get into this message one, also in this month of December. All right? All right, brothers, maybe we can take a break now.